Welcome to the Project 38 podcast, where we explore the state of the market and the future of government contracting. I'm Nick Wakeman, editor of Washington Technology. This is another in our monthly podcast focused on mergers and acquisitions in the market. So I want to thank our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by InfoBase Publishers, the provider of the DASIS information service for practitioners of mergers and acquisitions in the aerospace, defense, and government market. DASIS details companies by operating segment, division, cost center, joint ventures, and equity interest, complete with contracts, programs, and DOD budget line items. InfoBase Publishers delivers the information you need for the decisions you make, and we thank them for their support. So M&A activities remain very strong in the market for the whole year uh, and probably going forward as well. So uh, I think we're seeing more deals now than we have in a decade or more. Um, so today I want to talk with someone who probably writes about more about M&A than I do, and that's Ross Wilkers, our senior staff writer for WT. Uh, welcome, Ross. Hello, everybody. Nice to hope everybody had a great summer start to fall so far. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, we write about M&A and now we're part of an M&A. So just to kind of clear that out, just to let people know that we have been acquired by a government executive media group. Uh, they have acquired from our parent, 1105, they've acquired our public sector business. But don't expect, I think, huge changes. I mean, they like what we do or otherwise they wouldn't have, have bought us. But uh, we're going to be going through, I think, what a lot of companies go through, transition and integration and all those questions and everything, but I think it's going to be a positive change for us. So I'm not too nervous. We're not going tabloid soon with WT. So I think everything is kosher so far. Yeah. Yeah. No, no tabloid for us. So, uh, but maybe we'll enter, you know, we'll have, I think we might see some changes, but nothing like sensationalized like that. But so Ross, um, just looking back at some of the deals we've seen over the last couple of months, Anything in particular, anyone that jumps out to you as, as being significant? I mean, I have some ideas, but I thought I'd ask you first. Why don't we go back to the most recent one that I kicked over to you when it came into my inbox was GuideHouse and Devel Technologies it, it, and this, this next generation consultancy, as GuideHouse speaks of it, that they're trying to build under the umbrella of Veritas Capital and you've sat down with the develop management a couple of times, including an episode of this very podcast. Yeah. That, you know, so what, what's your snap reading of that announcement that Guidehouse put out? You know, I think it's, it, it's sort of what we expected to happen with Devel, that they would be, you know, they built themselves, they were up in the 400, 500 million dollar revenue range. How much Guidehouse paid for them has not been disclosed, but I mean, it was probably a pretty good, good price. Um, so it's sort of what you expect with that middle tier to kind of move up to a larger platform to continue their growth and get more resources. On the flip side with GuideHouse, I find it really interesting for them because now they're going to be around $2 billion in annual revenue, but they have a really good mix between government and commercial. Um, if they were purely government, I would think the GuideHouse would be on somebody's takeover list of the larger, you know, whether it would be the, you know, the Lidoses, the CACIs, the companies that make that look for the, you know, those big bang acquisitions. But the fact they have that commercial part with them, I think sets them up, in my opinion, 
to be independent for maybe longer than uh, not be a typical takeover target for a, for a larger integrator. There are about a half billion, half a billion dollars in annual revenue larger than ICF, which is a very similar company to yeah. what Guidehouse is presenting itself right now. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And ICF has remained independent even as a public company. So, uh, but yeah, I'm hoping to get in with them. You know, I reached out when the deal was was uh, announced, and they were like, "Well, let's you know, let the dust settle, and we'll definitely talk to you." So, I think that that's one that's on my future to do list because I do think uh, you know, Dovell was owned by private equity. Uh, I think it was McGuire. I'm probably saying that incorrectly. Macquarie Capital. Macquarie, thank you. From Australia, that's yeah. where they're headquartered. So <laughs> that's right, Brisbane. I think. Factoid. Yeah. Brisbane, so, as the locals call it. Yeah. So we'll see uh, see sort of where that strategy is, but I do think that what Devell was building fits with what Guidehouse wants, as far as like some of the niches they were in with healthcare and things like that. So that's and the history of the history of Guidehouse also is worth noting here again because they used to be the u.s public sector shop of pwc and then they were carved out that's right three-ish years ago I yeah that sounds about right veritas capital so they've been building something on their own with veritas's backing and so you know whatever they're building at guidehouse right there and it, these consulting companies are interesting because while they may not be the ones and zeros integrators coders software engineers you name it they sure have a big say in a lot of these strategies that the federal agencies are implementing and i and i think for for guidehouse bringing on dovell they they're adding more depth to their tech bench you know so i think you know, uh, you know, Booz Allen doesn't have the big commercial business that Guidehouse has, but that could be a closer model for what they're trying to build, that combination, the consulting with the technology. So uh, so we'll have to watch, watch that. One I want to ask you about, I guess the deal closed. Oh, gosh, now I can't remember, but no, Novetta is now part of Accenture, and I know you had a chance to talk with Novetta's now former CEO, Tiffany Gates. Uh, what's going on there? Well, she now heads the national security portfolio at Accenture Federal. So she went over with the inter- integration there. And so one of the questions that I asked to Tiffany in our conversation was, so Novetta always positioned itself as a quote unquote advanced analytics company. That's their core. That's how they advertise themselves. And so what are just what are they talking about there with analytics? And it gets into, all right, so we'll play the worst game ever in public sector, which is buzzword <laughs> bingo. So a lot of AI, a lot of machine learning in particular components of the government that deal with more information than a lot of other foreign governments and commercial enterprises in the world, like particularly the law enforcement and national security community. And so they joined Accenture just to switch to the buy side when 
Accenture Federal has put a lot of investment into towards acquiring some of these n- called niche, niche technology systems integrators right. that when you first when you first think Accenture, you look at the companies that they've been acquiring here and there over the last few years, and you go, that's not the historical consulting professional services that people first think of with Accenture. Now, I'm not saying it's not consulting, but they see a need to bring more to the table than just the traditional consulting as we knew it. Right. Yeah. I mean, Accenture, you know, going back to the Agilex deal, they've they've been pretty, uh, they've have that bent on sort of the I hate to say cutting edge, but sort of that that leading edge kind of technology and implementation and things like that. So, you know, one thing with with Tiffany, you know, I've I've never interviewed her, so I don't don't really know her that well. But in thinking about leadership and stuff and, you know, Accenture. You know, John Goodman is running Accenture Federal. Uh, They tend to sort of cycle their leadership out every four or five years. So. And this is just huge, big speculation on my part, but I'm looking I'm like, hmm, yeah, Tiffany's there. She's got good experience. I don't know. That that might be a, a bit of a stretch, but she's definitely someone you want on your team. Well, these professional services and consulting companies, so Accenture's not the only one. Deloitte does this a lot, right. and I'm forgetting some of the other ones. But, yeah, they Deloitte has had, what, four, five federal leads since I started as an analyst covering this stuff six or seven years ago. Yeah. And so they they move in and out. And Accenture has had about three or four. We're just stating facts. Yeah. Here. Right. So they but they do because they don't these firms don't like to do their government and commercial stuff in these independent silos. You can see their argument that it's important to put leaders in different places and give them a broader right. breadth of experience and relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think definitely Accenture and Deloitte are probably famous for, for doing that, cycling those people up. And because, I mean, Deloitte's consulting CEO, you know, Dan Helfrich. Yeah, he he ran their federal. That's where he kind of he built, you know, pretty much built that business. So, um, you know, another deal that happened that that you know I don't know a lot about it, but you know, uh, the Booz Allen acquisition of TracePoint. I mean, that's I know is on the commercial side in cyber. Um, but what I what kind of jumped out, and I know you wrote about it, so you know more than me. But I think what jumped out to me was that they made an act, an investment in that company. Gosh, was it earlier this year? Was it a year ago? Winter. Winter. And now they've acquired it. And I just, you know, especially for Booz Allen, who you don't think of as a, uh, you know, a, a big time acquirer. So this is a, you know, an easy way for them. But then the other side of it is that they don't have a big commercial business. So this lets them kind of get a toe in the water, see if they like it, kind of and kind of move that way. That, that's sort of the impression I got. I don't I don't know what you think. So admittedly, we don't cover Booz Allen's commercial business in great detail. That like it's it's interesting 
to watch, but given what our publication is about, right, our attention is usually elsewhere when it go, comes to Booz Allen. But it's fascinating to see Booz Allen, government contractor, acquire commercial cybersecurity company. Do we need to really go over the history of government <laughs> contractors in commercial cybersecurity? But the difference is that perhaps this is small, but you can see that Booz Allen isn't trying to necessarily sell a lot of. Uh, it appears from the outside that TracePoint isn't necessarily all of a product company right. either. There's a there's an inherent services element to it, and so in the and in the defense company space, there was a lot of product that they tried to sell within a yeah. defense company, and we're not going to go over that history. Yeah, yeah. Again, for but everybody. Trace, trace point, I think you said, does have some government business, though very small compared to the so, – so, yeah, it's another another one of those to watch. Um, and Booz Allen is still integrating Liberty IT solutions, right? by the right. way, which is – Yes, that was a big – that was – for anybody, that would have been a pretty significant deal. So, um, so another thing you wrote about, another approach to M&A or – I'll call it M&A, though I guess technically it's not necessarily M&A, but is this partnership between Boeing and AE Industries, uh, the private equity group? AE Industrial Partners. Industrial Partners, yes. Um, So AE is going to run Boeing's investment arm? Is that sort of – or is that oversimplification? So Boeing is still heavily involved in what's – called Horizon X Ventures, which is their next emerging technology investment venture capital organization, which is a lot like what Lockheed Martin does out of their ventures right. group, just to offer a comparison. That's probably the most apples to apples one, except for given who Boeing is, they're obviously more heavily interested in commercial aerospace than, say, Lockheed Martin is, but they're still looking out there. The idea behind that is to find, identify, and partner with these emerging tech companies out there whose offerings promise positive disruption, call it that way, to the industry itself. So at a smaller scale, right, Boeing is looking at a low-risk way to perhaps change the way that even some of its own inside mechanics operate. And so in this in this instance, they were looking for additional sources of capital. AI comes in. And so they're this private equity firm, A Industrial Partners, they're taking on the managing role of this. So it's going to be called AEI Horizon Next. They have 40 investments in the portfolio. And What they're trying to do at AEI is just create this added capacity of a value chain, right? So there's they have they acquire companies that are whole, take some and lately some of them they take help take public through SPACs. We can perhaps talk about that (laughs) a bit a bit later on. But they're trying to create more connectivity in that in that between some of their portfolio companies and some of these ones that they 
at least invest not just money, but also some brain power. Because when I spoke to the managing director of what's now AI Horizon X, he talked a lot about as much about talent and facilitating that exchange of talent and brain power as much as the actual dollars that they put down. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I guess Boeing, from their perspective, it just gives them more more eyeballs out there and, and somebody and someone, frankly, who that's their core competency is making these investments. It's, it's not Boeing's competency to do that. But, but Boeing is still going to be a big part of it. They're still yeah. going to invest. The, the ventures firm is still going to get access to Boeing's internal innovation team. And that yeah. team's going to be essentially this traffic stopper train station with other talent inside Boeing. So Boeing is there to stay in the venture capital. Yeah. Yeah. Capital game. And to an extent, you know, if you look at Boeing being around for a hundred years, the aerospace industry being around for a hundred years and the way that whole business is done for a hundred years, you can see why they're looking for some disruption. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it'll be interesting. You said they already they I guess they each brought some investments into this partnership because you said they have 40 investments right now. It's well, Horizon X has 40 investments in the portfolio. Already now, I my my understanding is that what that with AI's backing, they are on the hunt for new companies because they've got to get their. They've got to get that internal integration right, and yeah. what's that? What's that going to look like? What's that exchange going to be between Boeing, AI, and some of the other investors that are involved in this? But the these venture capital, like if you're if you're a company that's looking to sell, and I'm using that in air quotes to sell, but you don't not ready to give up full control, this could potentially be a good alternative. You just need some financial backing and. It's hard to find a better financial backing stamp of approval than if Boeing comes in with Series A or Series B funding with AI yeah. Horizon X in there saying, hey, I believe in this technology. That Sometimes that can be as good for the selling company as a wholesale. Yeah, yeah. It's really – so it's just really interesting to me how often now we see, you know, these acquisitions where the – where there's really not an exit for management that they're it's sort of like they're looking for that infusion of of resources and they're giving up equity to, to get that but they're not walking away for the most part there's very few i mean there's still some of those that happen where the ceo retires or whatever with with the sale but i think i think more of these private equity groups are are not they're not necessarily looking for their initial acquisitions anyway, for those people, they're looking for people who want to come in and keep running the business. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just looking for one to ask you about. So we, Oh, can... okay. <laughs> so what are you switching to another company that's writing a lot of big checks out there what do you make of what maximus is doing because they've really put a lot of cash to work oh, yeah. over the past year 
They really have, you know, and I think that they – but it all sort of fits into kind of a pattern for them where they're looking for added capabilities, um, things that can either support kind of their – gosh, I, you know, I don't, they probably don't even call it call center business anymore, but that, that sort of, you know, automating that, more artificial intelligence, more of that. But then they're also, I think with their latest deal – was looking more on the kind of the provider side in healthcare anyway to support that side of it. So um, more end to end, and they they're just kind of powering everything with technology now, so they don't have to, uh, you know. But yeah, they've made a ton of deals. I mean, and they have a new leader of their federal space who uh, um, I need to get in and talk to soon just to kind of see what her, you know, her uh, strategy is. But yeah, they've. They're definitely a serial acquirer now. They're making a couple deal, deals a year, it seems like, like CACI. And, and speaking of CACI, I am working on a story about them. I had an interview recently with John Mangucci, and it was interesting there. I mean, M&A is still going to be a huge part of their strategy, he said, but they're also looking at other ways of deploying their capital. Inclu- you, know, um, you know, he talked a little bit about, you know, uh, Share repurchases. Their debt level isn't that high, though. So he's, you know, they're they're ready to make another big deal. I mean, they have the the resources to do that. So we'll have to have to, you know, watch them. But right now, I think he's focused on filling in sort of gaps. So they don't. I don't think they feel the need to make a big deal. But if the right one comes along, I'm sure they will. So. Well, it, it's the tension between these ditchy deals and then the larger ones right that these companies think through is fascinating because yeah they don't want to pay too much and they all say that right but by the yeah. same token you want to have on that investor slide deck that we all get at 8 30 when a deal's announced I'm like wow look at this expansion look at how big our market share has yeah. <laughs> gotten or you know at the other extent right if it's a if it's a really small deal it's like you know, investors don't really care about that. Yeah. Now we're talking about a small subset, right, of the publicly yes. traded companies, but that same conversation has to happen to an extent at some of the privately backed firms too. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it makes me think though too. I think of uh, Bluestone Investment Partners and their tar- you know, that that private equity group. And they specifically target like the smaller end, these companies that, you know, other private, you know, an Arlington Capital isn't necessarily going to look at. Uh, definitely a CACI, but they're very, you know, they're they're really niche, but they're a lot of potential. And they they see them, you know, they're basically going to take them from 25 million to 150 million and then, you know, then sell them to a. And most likely another PE firm that can then take them to the 500 million. So I think that's one thing I think is interesting about the whole M&A. There's this there's this whole spectrum out there where, but you know, watching the like the big guys and knowing that for the most part making a deal less than you know three four hundred million dollars is just a waste of their time in a, in a lot of ways unless it's something really really unique. Uh, yeah, you spoke to the head of. Bluestone, John Allen for yeah. one of, for was it one or two months ago for as part of this M and A series, right? I yeah. mean, it, 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 his whole message was that small businesses can be 
just as active on the MA scene as the blue chip publicly traded companies that dominate yeah. the agenda and a lot. So what was your takeaway from that conversation? Yeah, no, I think I, you're absolutely right. I think it is, you know, the small businesses have to realize um, instead of looking for their buyer, they need to be looking for who they can buy. You know, and I think that's going to build their their value more quickly than just about anything else. If they can make it all make it all work. But yeah, I think uh, Bluestone has really found a nice a nice niche there to kind of develop these companies and give them. You know, they've brought in some people who can provide you know senior guidance, not necessarily a CEO, but you know, um, I'm thinking particularly of Dennis Kelly, who they have working with a couple of their of their platforms. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, you've written about uh, Comcast strategy to build their federal business. And now they've made a big deal buying uh, Microtech's uh, EIS, the EIS contract, which that acronym of Enterprise Information Solutions, I think, or it's the it's the federal government's yeah, contract, contract vehicle for modernizing their telco infrastructure yeah networks that sort yeah. of stuff yeah and microtech when they won that contract i remember distinctly looking at the list and thinking well this must be a different microtech and i even reached out to the ceo tony Jimenez, saying is this you guys and he's like oh yeah and he had been building this capability um and now he's he sold it because i think part of it is that they they were having some success but I think that the, you know, the focus and resources necessary would be a challenge. And then also the value to Comcast is just huge because that gets them. They're in now, you know, they've got that platform. They can sell the hell out of it. And yes. To reference Microtech, is it that company when we talk about Comcast? Yes, we are talking about that company that delivers the Internet and pays television to your house. Yep, yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, I mean, when you've talked, you've talked with them. What do they see as their opportunity in the federal space? I mean, is it that last mile, I guess, or? If you've had so much success in the world, federal government is a natural extension of that and yeah. you have a opportunity to buy something that i mean it is a big deal we don't think it was a big price but it's a big deal of the significance in that comcast is looking at the other tier one carriers that are on this contract and going clearly they're going we can offer something a little bit different than what some of the other carriers are offering because, I mean, let's run through the list of carriers really quickly just for the sake yeah. of the discussion, right? AT&T, Verizon, CenturyLink. Lumen now. Lumen. Excuse I'm reading the list from 2017, oh. but yes. So <laughs> AT&T, Verizon, Lumen, L3 Harris, BT yeah. Federal. Medtel, Granite, Core Technologies, and now Comcast. Comcast. Yeah. And Comcast, I think you have to put up, because it's sort of been in a two-tier group there. You had, you know, AT&T, Verizon, Lumen, 
as sort of the big, big players. And then, you know, the others are sort of upstarts in, in a way. But I think Comcast, you know, has to, you know, just because of their size and the resources they have, you have to kind of put them in that upper part of the – but. And there's still billions and billions of opportunities that's going to come through. I mean, they've, you know, networks it's replacing, but then there's all these local contracts that are being folded in as well as, you know, what is it? Connections. And I can't, I can't remember now what WITS stands for, but that that's all, you know, coming in. So there's a lot of business to be transitioned. So um, they should all do well, I guess. Um it's so a getting, fascinating space, though. Sorry, the, yeah. the, the telecommunications space is fascinating to cover in the federal ecosystem, and it it may not look on the surface because you see the names and it's like a ah, phone service. Yeah, you know that's very basic. But these are consumer technology, predominantly companies that are competing against each other for business in this environment. And unlike say the government contracting space that has the concept of competitive the telco companies in this space are a lot like the cloud providers. I don't think AT&T and Verizon are going to be partnering to bid on anything anytime soon. Right. (laughs) They do have that kind of just ingrained. I want to kill the other guy kind of mentality. So, uh, but anyway, just to sort of before we wrap up, there September 24th um, with COVID. Why don't you just just I feel like we need to uh, just sort of end with that just as a, a reminder to folks. So, um, what's going on on the 24th? Yeah, so September 24th. So just to set the scene of it, there's a cadre of people that have come together to basically figure out how the federal government is going to enforce this executive order that all federal employees and contractors on site at federal facilities have to get the COVID-19 vaccines or one of three of them. I think it's three, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of three. So you circle the date now, naturally, the ones that are going to be easier to understand the guidelines on how this Vax mandate is going to be carried out. It's going to be federal employees. That's that's going to be the the easiest one to comprehend. Contractors, it's going to be a little bit more, going to be a lot more different from some of the conversations that I'm having, just because there's so many of them. Not all of them are on-site versus off-site. The nature of the work is different, but the intent right. is that everybody that works in this public sector ecosystem and is at a government facility is going to have to get the shot or subject themselves to twice weekly testing for the virus. So more to come, but that's the date you have to circle. And I, and I don't know what your impressions are, but we've seen, so far and the coverage from our sibling publication fcw and just what this mandate's going to be and what its implications are yeah um you probably know more than i do to be honest but the 24th just so i understand that's when sort of these guidelines will come out and those the, 
the guidance is going to come out. So the, the organization is called the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force, and they're giving they're at least attempting to give industry what it wants right. in all of these guidelines, which is to treat federal employees and contractors as the same, yeah. even though sometimes legally, well, they are and they aren't, right? right. Because the check is coming from different sources, whether it's yeah. the federal government or your employer. Yeah. All right. Well, Ross, thank you. It's always good talking with you. Too bad we're not in the office together that much anymore, but uh, it's always good talking. We're moving so, offices eventually. I guess so. We'll have to see. I think it's going to be another year or so. But, um, but again, I want to thank our sponsor. So today's podcast is brought to you by InfoBase Publishers, the provider of the DASIS information service for practitioners of mergers and acquisitions in the aerospace, defense, and government markets. DASIS details companies by operating segment, division, cost center, joint ventures, and equity interests, complete with contracts, programs, and DOD budget line items. InfoBase Publishers delivers the information you need for the decisions you make, and we thank them for their support. And I want to thank you all for listening to the Project 38 podcast. You can find our archive at our website and on iTunes and other podcast platforms. uh, Thanks again, and stay safe.